Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to an author that I'm pretty excited about. His name is Sean Crow. So Sean, would you like to say hello to the listeners? Hey, listeners. How are we doing? We are doing good. Nice and warm today <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest, which is nice as we record, but a little stuffy in the in the office. <laughs> so, Sean, why don't we start out with some um, just get to know you information? So, first, tell our listeners what state you're in in the Northwest. Yeah, uh, I'm in Oregon, Northeast Oregon, a uh, little town called Legrand. Oh yes, I love Legrand. One of a very pretty little one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, I like to ask some questions kind of about your background. So are you one of those lucky authors that this is a full time gig for you? Or is this your side uh, passion project like everything is for me? <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely a passion project. Um, you know, I, writing's always been something I've loved to do. But um, it's not something that exactly pays the bills. You know, yes, um, I've been told this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. By many, many authors. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was. It, it's funny. I was. I. I used to be a writing major in college, and then oh. I had to sit down and think about it. And I go, I can't get a job doing this, so I had yeah. to switch majors. <laughs> well, what did you switch to? Something closely related? Um, kind of. Actually, I, I'm a special ed teacher. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I. I guess I, I went away from that a little bit, but um, that kind of progressed into, I, I taught special ed for like six years and then I jumped over to corrections oh. where, yeah, I, I still take on the, the special ed role, but I also fulfill the English teacher role, the mm. social studies teacher role. So I, I wear a few hats there. Nice, nice. Well, there's nothing better to be um, wearing a lot of hats, especially if there's something you get to do that you like to do, like teaching, you know, teaching writing, right? So it's amazing to me how many authors I have come on that are in education. Uh, It must be just kind of where we all landed. I'm in higher ed myself. So um, it's just as a natural fit, I think, for a lot of us, um, because we did realize we weren't going to pay the bills (laughs) unless we talk or something, right? (laughs) (laughs) But teaching is such a good lender to um, story storytelling in my opinion, you know, so I mean, it's really good. So special ed, what um, grade level were you working in? Uh, I've worked at a few. Uh, I started off high school level Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went into uh, middle school Mm -hmm. and from, and now I work with high school age to adult, just in corrections, we do anywhere from 16 to 24. Yeah, um, yeah. where they're at. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. but good and rewarding, right? So I started out yeah. as a one-on-one sped ed um, assistant, teacher's assistant. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. In, in K through um, five, she was a fourth grader. Loved it. Got my kids were old enough. They were going to school full time. And I thought I would go into high school teaching. And but I didn't do traditional college. So I had to wait until the kids were older. And I did that assignment for with her until she moved to sixth grade. And then I was like, you know, if I'm going to go back and get my education, I'm just going to go back all the way. So I just, you know, went right. about my education and end up where I'm at now. So, so we have some background. So I know yeah. the demands of that role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, so, so you're teaching special ed? Um, I actually work for Western Governors University. I'm an online news university professor. So I graduated from working in community colleges with student support where I actually ran the student support services. And I okay. worked a lot with our um, adult education refacilitating. So we have some mm-hmm. commonality there. Um, and yeah. then I moved to Western Governors University fully online in the College of IT. And I've been here for going on I would say I'm almost my ninth year will be in August. So, well, nice. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, it's a good role. I get to teach adults how to be students, and it's something I yeah. I can talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how to get that degree done. <laughs> right. Yeah. So here's the tricky question. I don't always prepare my authors, listeners for all the questions. So here's a tricky one. Um, Terribly tricky. But so if I, if um, you were going to tell us what is on your reading 
shelf or on your bookshelf that you're reading right now? Because us authors are told you always need to be reading something. You know, what oh, is yeah. it you're reading right now? Um, God, I uh, I have such a long list of things I'm supposed to read. I know. I, I, <laughs> lately, it's been kind of one of those things where um, I, I've I just finished beta reading a few projects and i've got another one in the works of a friend of mine uh jason link he sent me oh he just changed the chi- uh, the title i believe it's angel from the rust oh that sounds interesting <laughs> yeah and he's we'll see it we he used to be part of my local writing group here mm-hmm. we meet like once a week and talk mm-hmm. about what we're working on and and uh so the last three books i've read have been beta reading for other other authors and this one i just I'm going to say it's next on my list because I just started reading it. So yeah. uh, after that, I know there's a couple John Gwynn books that I need to get to yeah. that have been sitting there. I don't know if you've read him much. but I have. I have. I do like yeah. his work a lot. I really do. So yeah. here's the thing, listeners. So when we say beta readers, we get the inside scoop with our author friends because they send us those wonderful copies that they're working on and we get to read it. So there's nothing better. So listeners if you have author friends and they ask you to be a beta reader jump on it because it's a lot of fun you also get to help kind of give some feedback and input into maybe how that book develops which is a whole fun thing to do so so that's great and i'm glad that you mentioned writers groups i just left my writers group meeting so my listeners know this whole progression for me was Two years ago, I said I was going to write a book, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know an author that lived around me, much less, and um, started to meet authors, started a podcast, and then I was in, um, invited to this pretty awesome writers group as I started working on my first book. And so I just met with them today. We're getting close to the end of the chapters for the first book. It's written, and they're just now reading the last few chapters. So it's kind of fun to walk that process with someone yeah, <laughs> or group awesome. of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when did you know you were a writer? You said that you did started out in college. Did you know before that kind of you know, that I, journey for you? Writing was always just something I really liked to do. So I, I kind of started reading late, right? Um, mm-hmm. I didn't even care to read a whole lot. Like when I was younger, I kind of liked that red wall series that was out there by uh, Brian Jakes and uh, oh, yeah. 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 And uh, you know, I, but I never really was into writing and I got in, to big trouble. I like snuck out, broke curfew and the police ended up bringing me home when I was in high school. Oh, that's the or maybe it's middle school. <laughs> and I got grounded from everything. And I'm just like sitting on the couch and I had nothing to do. I couldn't see friends, couldn't watch TV, nothing. And Good my parent. dad just, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, my dad just tosses me a book. He goes, you need to read that. I was like, well, I got nothing else to do. And it was my all still today, my all time favorite author, uh, David Gemmel. And uh, he's huge in the UK, you know, and, and he, uh, that guy, once I, I got that, it just like opened up my world. Right. And so then I'd start mm-hmm. writing my own stories and then I'd start kind of, you know, I always just like to write stories. If I was ever on a road trip, I was either reading or writing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was kind of an oddity because I, I played sports were huge for me. And so on the bus, while everybody else is talking and BS, and I'm sitting there either with my nose in a book or a little notebook or something, writing something down. And um, so it was always like something I love to do, but I never really thought about taking it super seriously. Yeah. Uh, In college, I kind of thought that was the route I was going to go and then, you know, realized I needed to make money. Yeah. Couldn't live with mom and dad forever, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, man, okay, I guess I'm just going to, you know, find that job. But really, I don't think I ever fully got into it like I did until my first child was born. Yeah. Um, yeah. And once she, once she was born, it kind of focused everything for me. And I said, okay, I have all these fun hobbies I love to do, but now I really need to get serious about, I, I only have so much time. Family takes up most of it, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. family and work. And so I have time for one or two other things yep. and that was writing. And so that's kind of what I realized that I, if I ever want to pursue that passion, now's the time. And mm-hmm. you know, we had a couple more kids, but it's actually, I feel like the more responsibility has been thrown at me, the more I've hyper-focused on writing that's as well. That's really cool though. That's yeah. that is such a cool <laughs> story. So when you were younger, will you say, you can say, 
if it's true or not, it kept you kind of out of trouble after that incident, you know, it's kind of saved you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, and I wasn't even, it's not like I was doing terrible things or anything. I know like we that. all have our background. <laughs> I, my parents will be the first to tell you about my little mishaps. They love to tell yeah. people about it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was, it, it, it definitely is one of those things. You know, I, I say that, you know, my parents are probably one of the biggest things that kept me from ever doing anything really stupid, yeah. but. Yeah. Oh, I was you know, terrified my parents get in trouble. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having that conversation with them more than once. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say that that's pretty accurate. I think it's really helped with all aspects of my life, you know? Well, I love that when you became a dad, it became hyper-focused. That is such a great legacy to your children and also to you. I know from my experience, my girls, everybody will know this. Our girls are grown up, so um, they're out of the house officially on their own. We did it um, and uh, and without any major big deals, right? And so um, everybody knows that knows me. My girls are truly my inspiration for everything. So I went back to school so that I could show them that you can, you know, you can change your life and do better. And then I was always like, I want to write books to show for my kids. I want them to see that, you know, you can just keep growing as you, you get older. And then I did the podcast and my girls like, wow, you're really cool. You have a podcast. <laughs> like, yeah. And you never have time to talk with me because I'm too busy. <laughs> right. But no, I totally love that, that that is part of the legacy for you and your kids. So that's yeah. super cool. So tell us the genre you write in. Do you write in more than one genre? Or are you sticking with one? What is it? Um, yeah, actually, I, for me, the first book I ever fully wrote was like, oh, it's been three years now. Uh, and it was, it was a modern fantasy, you know, I guess urban fantasy is what you call it. But um, then this last one I wrote was, uh, I'd say it's low. I, 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 so I, I kind of put in myself with Grimdark, but I don't even know if I really classify it as Grimdark. Because Grimdark's kind of too rough. Like they, yeah, there's like yeah. no, there's no good in Grimdark. Which yeah, it's all always, Grimdark. Yeah, grim and yeah. <laughs> the but, words speak for itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I guess dark fantasy was what that one was, a really kind of low, low-key dark fantasy one. Um, but now I'm having another release out. Yay. It's gonna be four four or five weeks. Okay. And it's cyberpunk. So Oh, I love I, I, cyberpunk. I really and, love yeah. cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um yeah, it, it's been fun. But really, you know, I grew up again like my dad and I, when we'd go out hunting or something like that, we wouldn't talk about anything. We'd talk about books or we'd talk about, hey, what do you think about this idea? And then we'd throw it back and forth until we kind of like, oh, that'd be really cool if this happened or, you know. And so just I, I know a lot of authors really like to stick in one area and follow mm -hmm. it along. But um, for me, I feel like there's too many good ideas out there to just yeah. stick with one. You know, I have like this, uh, my most recent one, Godless Lands, I'm, I'm going to write probably three books in that area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then the cyberpunk one, I'm already a quarter of a way through a full novel on that after its release. So, you know, I, I just, I, I have multiple worlds, multiple ideas, yeah. and I don't want to make myself a one, one trick pony, you know? And what's so cool is we don't have to anymore, honestly, as authors. There used to be traditional publishing, which I learned about later on, you know, that was, it was very, if you got, if you were a romance writer, which I'm not, but if you were, or you were a sci-fi writer, whatever, you pretty much had to stick in that mass marketing kind of thing. Yeah. But now it's not that way, which is really, really cool. Because I'm like you, I have... My heart's historical fiction because I'm a librarian. I can't help myself. I research and then read stories. And I, but mm -hmm. it also tailors in female fiction, women's fiction as well. And I have contemporary um, rock and roll book that I want to write based on my husband's life that doesn't, it's contemporary fiction, but it's, so I'm never going to fit in one thing, but it's cool. You don't right. have to. So that's, that's what's Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's, that's great. You know, I, and I was so against, it's funny, um, like when our writing group, I was so against going self-publishing. Like I oh, just. Yeah, I was going to ask you which one you were. So yeah, yeah I, I was so, so against it. Like yeah. my, and my, my friend who I mentioned earlier, Jason and a couple of the others are like, no, you should just go ahead and self-publish. There's, you know, just look into it. I was like, no, like in my mind, I was like, but then I won't really be an author. Like that's how I yeah, had that. Yeah. There's no that. legitimacy in self-publishing. That's kind of the, yeah. the, 
the stigma around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I just, and I did, I had that negative opinion about it. And um, the, the person who actually convinced me otherwise, uh, are you familiar with Anthony Ryan? I am. Yep. Yeah. Um, so my thing is like, I'll, I'll reach out to authors I really enjoy mm-hmm. any, any chance, you know, and most of them never get back to me, you know, yeah. but, um, I've had two that talk to me relatively regularly and that's yeah. John Glenn and Anthony Ryan and Anthony Ryan actually, he said, you know, my first book was self-published. Yeah. Really? And he, and he just started talking about it. He goes, yeah. He goes, honestly, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to it. And he kind of walked me through it and. And after that, if I had a question, I'd send it to him and then he'd get right back to me. And that's cool. Really? Yeah. And he, he actually, uh, I really like any chance I get, I like to toot, you know, any horn about him. Please do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, he actually went through my book. He, he not, I asked him if he'd read it. Right. I was like, Mm -hmm. I know you're busy. I know you, you know, you're a huge, huge author. I was like, I know you've got probably people lining up. I said, but if you have the time, I'd really appreciate it if you read, read it and gave me your thoughts. And so he, he said, yeah, sure. If I can get to it, I will. And uh, I didn't hear back from him for a while. And I was like, okay, well, he must have just, you know, he's busy. I'll just push yeah. on. And then he not only read it, he went through my entire manuscript and added notes. Oh, my to, gosh. Yeah. Did you didn't have like, to pay him for it? No. And I didn't that's even ask him. I, I didn't even think that I was just like, if you read it, that's cool. Yeah, you know, but yeah. he went through and of his own accord, he went and that was such a helpful thing. Cause he actually helped me realize a couple things that I, um, a couple of just, you know, and things in my prose that I didn't realize I did. Mm-hmm. And now it's, I catch myself doing that. And I was like, Oh, that's right. He, he said, don't do that. You know? And, uh, he ended up giving me a quote I could put on my book. So I was just oh like, Oh my gosh, what an endorsement. <laughs> Yeah. I was just like, wow. And honestly, because of him, I, I think I've had, that's a reason why I've had some good sales in certain areas is because, yeah. yeah, you know, they see that they're like, Oh wow. Anthony Ryan said that. So absolutely. Endorsements are everything in this yeah. industry. Um, I don't talk as much about marketing on this podcast as I had at the beginning, just because I, um, it gets old for my listeners because a lot of my listeners yeah. are hearing about authors, but it's something us, um, uh, authors will talk about together all the time, regardless if you're self-published or um, with a publishing house, you have to do all your own marketing um, yeah. almost solely. And so having that endorsement, that social proof is amazing. What cool. Now here's the cool part about the story that I like. Yeah. You have the guts to just go ahead and ask. And <laughs> I mean, not a lot of us would do that. And, and I, I commend you for that. And it's inspiring to me because I feel like the authors that do really well are the ones that are just going to go ask. They're going to step out there. They're going to just do it. And so what if somebody doesn't respond, but at least they have tried, but if they do get a response like that, then it's such a great partnership for that little bit of time. You had a great mentor, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. Thanks for sharing that story. Cause it inspires me to yeah. get no, some guts. <laughs> it was funny when I was thinking about, it, I had one of my youth, um, he, he, he'd always come in cause I have like this little deal with my guys. I'm like, Hey, you show up on time. I've got a coffee maker. You can make yourself a cup of coffee, but you gotta show up on time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he got called in for something one day. And, and so he's late and he's like, crow, man, can I get coffee? I was just like, I don't know, man. You're like an hour late. He goes, I get it. But I get, he goes, but I got to ask because a closed mouth doesn't get fed. I was like, Oh, I like that. Like I really like that. So that's something like one of my that youth always That's yeah. very cool. <laughs> hey, you have to tell them I might borrow that. That's very, oh, yeah. very good. I, I use yeah. it all the time. I, I've actually used that in a couple emails to authors. I was like, hey, I'm reaching out to you because I've realized a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So Yeah. And yeah. honestly, it really is about also I don't hear when you're telling me the story and I don't feel like you're doing it in a way that's even like remotely arrogant either. It feels like you're like, I'm just getting feedback. I want information. And I think being that learner, lifelong learner really helps to offset. Now I've seen a lot of authors that are so, you know, they have that ego thing going that it just, it puts you (laughs) off, you know? So so that's very, very cool. So I love it. Okay. So besides that and the writers group that you're involved in, where there's some other support groups that you can recommend to maybe somebody listening to the podcast, um, that's starting out. Um, well, you know, um, 
another thing I, I think that's helped, I, and I was, so I was really against social media. Like, oh, yes, I hated it too. I, yeah, I, I didn't even, <laughs> yeah, I didn't own a phone until like two years ago when I was good at, not even, no, actually it was a little over a year ago is when I got a phone and got a Facebook account and got Instagram. Wow. You're a little I, later than I was, but no, yeah. I only reason why I got a Facebook account was eight years ago. My Dean from my college, not everybody knows the story. I had student workers and one of mm -hmm. them was not doing well on Facebook. And he's like, you need to get on Facebook and account and friend them and find out what's happening. Cause it reflecting on the college. I'm like, I don't want a Facebook account. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now here I am social media lover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's, it's crazy because like I, my wife convinced me cause I'd had, I had had a Facebook account in like college and then got to the point. I was like, I just don't want to see all this yeah. negative stuff all the time. Yeah. I've just yeah. got rid of my account. Didn't even carry a phone. I was like, if somebody really wants to get a hold of me, they'll get a hold of my wife and That's then so they'll let me know. <laughs> and, and she goes, no, she goes, Sean, if you're going to do this, she goes, get a phone, just get a phone, get a social media account. Just, you need to hustle. She goes, cause if you're going to do this and we're going to, we're going to invest in you on this, then you need to do it right. I was like, okay. Bravo for her. Good for her. But on, but to get to your, your question, some of those Facebook groups are great. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know if I can say a general group okay. that works great for everybody, because I think what you really need to do is research the, the t like I'm part of probably 20 groups on there, but mm -hmm. like I'm part of probably five or six cyberpunk groups. I'm part of five or six fantasy, a couple grim dark groups. And, yep. and I yep. interact more because I see the feed, right? And if I see a question that jumps out to me, then I'll jump on it. Yeah. And, and so I tend to gravitate toward like, there's, there's one, it's a private group, grim darklings. They're, they're a bunch of authors uh, in the kind of grim dark area that they're, they're pretty good about getting back to you. Um, mm -hmm. God, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of the other ones I use, but... Uh, no, but that's okay. But here's the yeah. lesson that is such great advice is that we as authors in this new decade of the world, and even so much so because we are recording this during the COVID, still we're in COVID experience, people, that we have to be online socially. I mean, but there's so much value in it. And I was very resistant of it too. And then I went through an obsession stage of, I only have one... I only have one Twitter follower. <laughs> yeah. What the heck? How does this? And she's my mom. So yeah. how does this translate? How do I do this? And then I went in overboard into marketing 101 for authors and creators and got obsessed. I'm just now pulling back since the whole COVID thing. I finally finding some balance with it because mm -hmm. I was obsessed, like yeah. obsessed. And then I realized I don't need to spend hours and hours. I still have another job and my family would like to see me occasionally, not yeah. with a phone in front of my face. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so that's cool. I'm, I'm glad you jumped on, but I also think it's very commendable that you resisted for a while, but your wife was right. You have to, if you're going to hustle, you got to hustle. <laughs> yeah. She's, she, she's, her gut feelings on most things are pretty accurate. So now, I, I tend read, to listen to her. Does she read your books too? <laughs> um you know my my wife read my last book yeah um, she's not a big reader uh, my yeah. wife is not a big Mine reader not, and, my husband's not a reader at all actually yeah. yeah um if i can get her to read it it usually requires a guilt trip yeah. but um when she does read it she she gives me feedback it's just she's my wife is super busy right so yeah. i i joke with her i go you have time for like three, maybe four things in your life. And that's about it. Yeah. Like you, she's, she's hyper-focuses, right? It's like me and the kids are a big one. Yep. Real estate and then CrossFit. I said, those are the three things you can kind of really focus in right now. Yeah. And she coaches on the side. It's like when that hits, then you're burning the candle on too many. Yeah. Ends. And that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I I've kind of learned to, that's one of those things. She's very supportive of it. She's mm -hmm. very, she always gives me time. Hey, do you need time to do this? Do we need to work on this? Is this something we need to look into? Yeah. But that time thing. And so when she reads it, she reads it. You yep. know, I, I just, I kind of like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but yep. 
We'll see. Well, my husband's not a reader. He never has been a reader. He's an audiobook, um, but I have to curate his audiobooks for him. He won't go in yeah. and find something. But if I'm like um, reading something, I'm like, oh, you would love this. And I have to get it on audiobook for him because he has a commute. So he can at least do that much. And then we can talk about it. But mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll ever read my books, and that's okay. But he <laughs> has followed along the journey with me. So my characters, um, one's name is Annabelle, the other one's Albert, and the other one's William. They're part mm-hmm. of our daily discussions. <laughs> I mean, like, I'll right. tell him, oh, I just got Albert in this situation and blah, blah, blah. And um, after my writer's groups, I always recap with him kind of the stuff that I went through with the writer's group. So he knows kind of what's going on, but he has no idea the whole vast amount of the business of writing. He gets it. He sees me doing it, but he's not quite doesn't get it. But he's not right. a huge, huge reader. Um, I think the only book he did read was, oh, I can't remember the name, way before we met, like years and years ago. It's a vampire. Yeah. So I know he can read. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> He's too, too busy, honestly. So that's why the commuting for him and, and audiobooks have been wonderful. We'll mm-hmm. share that. So, well, let's set the stage. So tell us, because we completely remissed the titles of your books. So oh. let's start there. Tell us the titles and then set the stage for the one that you're going to read from. And around that stage, kind of share with us what you can without giving us too much information. So we're plunged into what you're reading. And I'm going to go quietly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so. It's a short list, but after this year, it should get bigger. I'm doing uh, what's called a mini blitz. So my first book, Godless Lands, just released oh, it four weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago. And um, it's low fantasy. It's post-apocalyptic. I guess you could call it that, though. When I wrote it, I didn't really think about it that way. It was just its own world. Um, and then what I'll have coming out next is Valhalla Steel, which is the cyberpunk one. It's um, a mixture of kind of mythology and cyberpunk mixed together. Um, it uh, follows a <laughs> they're gun running Vikings in a turf war with chem dealing Fay, and so that's the scene I've set. And it's it's a novella, and it's actually all illustrated as well. So. Um, that'll be fun. And then after that is going to be a full novel in that world following those characters. Um, but the one that I'm going to be reading today is Godless Lands. Um, okay. I'm going to pause you for just one second because I do oh, want to yeah. mention to my readers. So you got to get on the website because you highlight the illustrators that you worked with. And it's really pretty cool. So t- can you just tell us a little bit about how you found those illustrators? Um, yeah, actually it was a, it was a little way when I was really hitting social media hard, when I first got on it, I was like, okay, how do I build readers? I was looking at what pages really took off and it's the artwork, right? The artwork is what makes things take off. And so I was like, you know what? Um, I'm going to do contests. So like on my Instagram, I do art contests that say, Hey, uh, for the next week and a half, two weeks, any artists that want to send in their work, um, to me, I'm going to pick my favorite one or two at the end of it. And then I'm going to write a short story just for you. Oh, that's right? really cool. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, and if you want to give me some feedback on what that world is, what that's kind of based out of, that's great. If you just want me to write something, then I'll just do that too. And I had a lot of artists toss me stuff there. They threw, you know, threw their work my way. And uh, I ended up having a really tight relationship with two of them. Actually. Um, actually the, the guy that did my cover, Thomas Ducek, um, he, he, the first one I wrote for him, Death Knight, actually turned out to be the prologue of my novel, Godless Lands. So oh, fantastic. he sent that in and I was like, man, and I looked at his artwork and it just blew me away because I, I loved his work. I would just, I, it, it was, I rarely get on an artist. And I'm just like, man, I love your stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so we started talking and, you know, him and I would talk back and forth more and more and, I ended up writing three short stories based off of his pieces. And I said, Hey, would you be cool if I posted this on my website? I'll, I'll, you know, send people your way, whatever. He goes, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so those three short stories ended up being what, what got godless lands off the ground. So I was like, I just based off those characters I made. Um, the other one, Anthony Valiaconis, he, uh, he also sent stuff in and his stuff, it was just, it was a little bit more edgy. It, it, he, he had some really cool images and I started talking with him. I was like, Hey, do you have any idea? Goes, no, I just kind of, 
or what this world is. He goes, no, I just kind of pulled it up. I wanted to do something. Uh, but yeah, just let me see what you have. And I wrote three short stories for him off of his work that he had. Because his pieces just kind of popped off the page and really, you know, stood out. And I talked to him and actually Valhalla Steel, he's done the cover for both those authors so or those artists. Thomas Duchek did the cover for Godless Lands. Mm-hmm. And Anton has done the cover for Valhalla Steel. Mm-hmm. And it's built into these friendships. You know, we both kind of talk back and forth. Like I just sent Thomas his cover. And um, by the time he sees this, I guess he'll probably have already gotten it. And my dad yeah. makes um, Damascus uh, steel knives and swords. Oh, so cool. So I sent him one, you oh. know, as a thank you. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so Anton, you know, he'll, uh, hopefully he doesn't watch this before I send him his stuff, but you know, well, uh, <laughs> not a little bit later, so he might, they might, you might get yeah. it out. That, you know, that's such a great collaboration that, and that just came to you just kind of out of the blue. So is that kind of, you just thought of it on your own? Yeah. I just kind of thought about it. I, I, cause I loved looking at the art pieces and seeing who else had stuff out there. And I just thought those were cool. And, and sometimes those images gave me ideas and I was just like, yeah, I'll try it. Why not? You know? And I worked with, I mean, I worked with several other people in that time. Um, Mark Thorson, he, he did that. I don't know if you saw that little video clip on there. I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually more of a back and forth with him. Cause I sent him that and he goes, Oh, well, I kind of thought this, I never thought of him about that, but what do you think about it? And so we kind of did a back and forth and I, edited the story a little bit. So he liked it. I liked it. And, um, you know, and it's just been some people they're like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What a great collaboration. It's artists though. And the creative community is so willing to collaborate most people and you find great people, but that's such a great story. So I'm glad I asked because I did go on your website and I see lots of author websites and I did notice the artwork and I'm like, this is gorgeous. And your website's very good too. I, I, I love it. So, um, I was like, I'm glad we asked. So, okay, let's jump back into what we were doing. Um, okay. and, and I know that my listeners are going to go head to your website and check out these ar- artists too. So listeners, this is your action item. Go on the website, not only for Sean, but find the artists and tell them you heard about them on the podcast as well. So that would be kind of fun. So, <laughs> okay. So go Sean. Set us All up. right. So, uh, yeah, God, this lands. Um, I, I, just setting the scene with it. Uh, again, I, it's based in a world where um, if you took the bubonic plague and then made it more deadly and then you had it affect all life, not just, not just people, you know, if it affected all the animals, all the plants, uh, and I call it the blight, right? So this disease hits and it runs through the world. And so people are basically, it, it's, it almost gets to the point that it's a dying world. It's not quite there. I, I couldn't go quite that dark, but, uh, you know, it, it takes a toll. And so the people that are left are, they're just trying to realize, you know, what are they going to become after that? Um, and this story focuses on a smaller aspect of, of, of storytelling. I, I, I tend to see a lot of, huge epic fantasy they want armies and world ending events well this is a world end of ending is, uh, event has happened and this is a smaller story about the people that survive right and um when the story takes off you follow our character ferris as he kind of stumbles into bethany and katrina who are these two uh, a woman and her daughter on the run and he decides to help them kind of against his better judgment. And so um, I had a friend actually tell me, he goes, you know, it's kind of almost like a, a low fantasy Louis L'Amour, you know, uh, and it, which was pretty cool to me because that's kind of the stories I like to read. You know, they're very character based. So um, that said, this is uh, Godless Lands and I'll just uh, read the prologue here. Arlo watched the burning piles of dead the stink of it in a custom scent at this point. Similar fires from around the city lit up the sky in a reflection of the dying world below. A handful of doves tossed what diseased remained this particular block into the flames. Each wore white, which made little sense to him, seeing the soot and bloodstains covering each, perhaps to see what needed to be cleaned at the end of the day. He let them do the work alone. Arlo had done what needed to be done while others looked on in silence. 
let them take care of the cleanup. More kindling for the hungry blaze. He watched a pair of doves carry the body of a young girl in a blue dress, her skin blackened around the lips and hands. It had likely been a beautiful dress, he mused, made with care. Arlo looked in with detached interest as they tossed her in with the rest. The fabric caught first, replacing the blue dress she wore with a gown of flame, painting her pale skin with new life for one brief instant. In that moment, the girl became someone else, and Arlo looked away. In the distance, he could hear the rioters on the other side of the city where the storehouses could be found. It wasn't enough that the blight was wiping them out in droves. The lack of food from a failed crop yield sent them into a frenzy. Neighbors killed neighbors in order to provide for their own, hoarding what food they could before realizing the blight had wrapped its fevered hands around their throats. The rioters were of little consequence at the moment, focused as they were on the single food source in the city, at least what they suspected to be the only source. Arlo knew better. He'd been in service to Baron Tagus of Bright Ridge for half a decade. Having risen in power alongside the man's ambitions, Arlo was privy to his trust. His liege was a planner, always preparing for the worst situation. The man had secured several additional hidden food stores throughout the city, each bottlenecked in areas where holdouts could be made in the event of a city being compromised, be it by a rioting population or foreign threat. Of course, not even the most meticulous mind could have foreseen the blight. With the rest of the nation's aristocracy dropping like flies, Baron Tigus claimed to rule increased dramatically. The blight saw no man's station in life as it claimed prince and pauper alike. The king was dead, along with his sons and first cousins. If Tigus could avoid contracting the blight, he'd rule whatever remained, if there was anything left to rule. Had the disease only stopped with mankind, the world might not be so terrible a place. Arlo looked up at the once lush trees in this part of the city, seeing empty branches and cracking bark. It hadn't been named the Arbor District without cause. In summers, families would walk the cobbled roads, enjoying the shade and birdsong. In autumn, the leaves became a myriad of color, a wonder to behold for the young, a fine place and a better time. There was no birdsong now. The blight didn't settle for humanity. It was a greedy beast robbing the very life from the earth itself. Livestock died by the hundreds of thousands and once healthy crops withered and perished. It was one matter for people to die off. It was another for the land to join them. From that point on, people began to lose hope. Without hope, people became ugly things, but not in his domain. In the midst of the chaos that seemed to overtake the world, Arlo kept a semblance of order. With his liege in tow, Arlo returned to his estate, putting distance between them and the disease-ridden keep. Arlo ordered the Arbor District to be locked down, closing both gates leading in and out of the area. Anyone showing signs of the blight he evicted, by their own accord, or violently if need be. The doves, so named by the Baron, had been assembled to help him with his task. Made up of former soldiers or willing volunteers, they helped clear the area of the infected. No one wanted to risk a chance at catching the pestilence that had befallen the world, but it was a job of necessity. Tigus implored him to withdraw to the estate and send out, to send out orders from there to lessen his chance of infection. Arlo had refused. He walked into every single home, putting down the blighted and diseased without a care for himself. Too few had the stomach for it, and that was something they could ill afford. If not for his action, the Arbor Dit section would have been as overrun with blight and madness as the rest of the city. Because of this, he was feared, and it was a small price to pay to maintain the peace he'd established. Even roving bands of looters avoided the Arbor District, which belonged to the Baron and his death knight. That's what they'd taken to calling him. A name well earned, he supposed. Of course, the bodies hanging from the walls surrounding the district proved an efficient deterrent as well. Any man or woman caught sneaking over the walls had a rope tied about their neck and was tossed back over. My lord? Came a voice nearby. Arlo turned, seeing one of the masked doves waiting nearby. He nodded, giving him permission to speak. We've a runner come in. There, says there's another family showing signs of the blight in Isid block. We've got a quarantine for now, however. Arlo raised his hand. I'll be there within the hour. The dove dipped his head. As you wish, Lord. Arlo watched the man leave, never bothering to ask his name, 
let alone be bothered to remember it. Very few doves lasted. They seemed to come and go like mayflies, either dying off or disappearing without a word. Somehow people kept filling their place. Whether it be from some sense of duty or self-preservation, he didn't much care. As long as the cleanup was handled and the bodies burned, they could do as they liked. He stretched as best he was able in his armor. It had been a week since he'd been out of it. Smoke permeated most of what he could smell, but occasional traces of his own body odor seeped out. The tabard of his liege was in ruins, ripped apart by the fevered hands of the diseased. Small dents from workmen hammers, bits of rust from lack of attention. Only his longsword remained in pristine condition, save for the handful of recent notches. Worries for another time. Shouldering his longsword, Arlo marched toward Isablog. He could feel the eyes of the people as they watched him pass. He pressed on, ignoring the way drapes were pulled and doors closed at his passing, as if he would burst in and kill them without cause. He'd been a champion once, hailed throughout the city as a bloody hero. The Blade of Brightridge, they'd called him, a man of conviction, of honor. Now he was little more than an executioner. He passed the Creator's Cathedral, once a place of chiming bells and voices lifted in worship, now silent testament of the sickness that ravaged this once great city. The blood of the priests who had once tried to help those afflicted stained the steps where looters had rushed in to steal what remained of the food the holy men had been distributing. The sound of peeling laughter indicated that Arlo had neared the diseased area. There was no joy in it. The fevered cackling of fluid-filled lungs made those standing around the house turn away or shudder. Outside stood several doves, white garb reminding him of angels of death, waiting to bring those within into the creator's embrace. In his mind, he saw the girl in blue once again, remembering the casual disregard as they tossed her body in the flames. They'd likely throw him in as well, he thought, whenever the fell disease decided to claim him. There's at least a dozen, my lord, said a dove as he approached. How is it allowed to progress this far? Arlo asked calmly, he thought, but the man immediately avoided his gaze like a hound too often struck. One of our own, sir. He's been keeping it from us by performing daily checks in this part of the arbor. He's gathered a few more families here. Soldiers' families, sir. They've threatened violence for anyone coming close. Of course they had. It was because of holdouts like these that the blight was allowed to spread, unwilling souls selfishly clinging to what little time they had. What man wouldn't? asked another. Arlo felt his anger rise so fast and sudden that he couldn't stop himself. Weak men that don't give a flying shit about those they love, he snapped. Arlo found himself striding toward the hapless dove, continuing to march forward as the man backed away. Selfish bastards that would rather see their families rot before their eyes than give them peace. His hand shot out, gripping the young man by the scruff of his tonic and pulling him in close. They're cowards of the worst sort, Arlo hissed face to face with a bewildered man, and cowards deserve what they have coming. The man nodded vigorously, squirming in Arlo's grip until he was released. The knight strode toward the door and pounded his armored fist against it, feeling the fragile hinges shake with the action. Leave my district willingly, or I'm coming in, he called. There is more laughter, not at his threat, but the continuous fever babblings of the disease. He could hear hushed voices, caught the words, death night, as one man seemed to be shouting. Your time is, he began, catching the faint sound of a latch opening above him. Looking up, he had just enough time to step back as a large stone was dropped from above. It clattered on the cobblestone where he'd been standing just seconds before. His would-be killer, a middle-aged man with blight-tinged skin, stared down with wide eyes as he realized he'd failed. So be it, Arlo said and charged the door. The frail hinges and thin cut of the door caved in as he burst into the interior. There was a moment as the men inside froze at the sight of him. Unfortunately for them, Arlo was not one for hesitation. In the confined space, he quickly switched to half-sword, gripping the blade of his <clears throat> in his gauntleted offhand. The first man went down with a sharp jab of the sword's point to his neck, igniting the remaining three into action. The first came at him, swinging a short blade overhand. Arlo caught in the center and rammed the crossguard into his eye. Even as he fell, Arlo moved to the next, ramming the pommel into his assailant's skull with a sharp crack. 
Something struck him in the back, doing little more than cause him to stumble forward. Whipping around, he saw a man with a hammer, dressed in the same white as the doves outside. Another, also dressed as a dove, rushed down the stairs and burst through the window, running out the back alley as fast as he was able. Let the doves find their traitor and put him down. The one who remained, eyes fever bright, skin already beginning to blacken around his mouth, stared at Arlo. Realizing there was no chance, he lowered his weapon. I, I couldn't do it. I know, Arlo said, driving his longsword through the man's heart. The once proud knight looked around the room, seeing the writhing forms of the men he'd soon finish off. A woman lay in, her, in bed, her laughter seeming to build as her unfocused eyes stared at the ceiling. Smaller forms lay in the beds nearby. Arlo made short work of the rest of the house, putting them down quick and painless as he could, not looking too long at their faces if he could help it. The same for those upstairs. Once the dirty business was done, he took up a chair and sat in the middle of the room, in the middle of the disease and death. Removing a gauntlet, he reached into a pouch at his belt and pulled out a blue piece of fabric, a small piece of his daughter's favorite dress. He brought it to his face and breathed it in, lavender and oil. His wife had always put it in her hair before they left to walk the streets of the Arbor District. He drew it in for a time and remembered. One last walk when a few leaves still remained, kissing them goodnight as they struggled to breathe, as their skin began to darken and their minds slipped away. He remembered taking their lives that night. Arlo breathed in distantly hoping the fell disease in this place would finally claim him, begging it to take him, yet somehow knowing it wouldn't. His chest squeezed tight, his breathing coming out ragged as he fought for control. Their loving faces flashed in his mind. He sat there for a long time, waiting for the pain to subside and the memories to fade. The pain never went away, but eventually he regained a sense of himself. Locking away the turmoil within, he stood and made his way out the door he just destroyed. Arlo approached the first dove he saw. One ran out the back. I expect him to be found come nightfall. Remove the bodies and check the other houses on this block. If you find the disease is spread, burn it down. The house, Lord? Asked one. The entire block. Inform me if there proves to be an issue. With that, the fallen knight walked away, leaving only death in his way. Oh my goodness. So I would be remiss to not comment on the fact that, when did you write this book, the story? Um, I wrote it, I think I started writing it February of 2019. Okay. So just recently, but not recent enough that you're drawing upon our whole experience no. in the <laughs> world. But I'm sitting there going, this is chilling how uh, I know it's not set in our time frame, but it's just chilling. Um, yeah. You know, this, this whole experience we're having. And I've been wondering what authors like you that write around this kind of pandemic kind of thing are thinking about, you know, this unfolding right before our eyes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a, a strange coincidence. Actually, I've got, yeah. I've had a lot of people going like, how fast did you write this book? Yeah, did you exactly. And I was like, no, no, I started writing it last year and, and it's wow. been done. Yeah. I think I finished it around Christmas, but then I had beta readers going through yep. it. And then, yeah. Well, it's brilliantly yeah. done. Very exciting. I'm curious to you know hear more about the, how it happens, but really, really good. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. So Sean, before we go, why don't you just give, um, well, you have your website. I'll make sure that's on podcast notes um, for my listeners to find you. But give us one tip of advice or share with us what your inspiration is. So either or, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so I'd say advice. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of people saying, hey, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. And they haven't written anything. Mm -hmm. um, my best piece of advice is write a short story. Right. Start, start small. Don't sit there. If you've never written a novel, don't sit there and go, well, I'm going to write, write one now. Yeah. Write, write a few things to completion. Um, you know, whether it's short stories, a novella, something smaller 
that you can just write it to completion. Because the thing I find with a lot of people is they go, oh, I had this idea, I wrote it for a while, then I dropped it. I had this idea, I wrote it for a while, then I dropped it. And I've been guilty of that. Yeah, Um, yeah. But what what really helped me was um, when I decided to take writing serious, I said, okay, I'm going to write some short stories. And they were a thousand, two thousand word short stories, just writing to completion. Then they got a little bigger. Then they got more detailed. And then, you know, eventually I worked my way up to a novel. And I think that was a really good way of doing it um, for me. I mean, I guess there's people out there that write a novel who've never written one and they're just like, hey, that was easy. Or, you know, (laughs) I got that. I'm not one of those people. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not one of those people. I think if you really want to build on your craft, you need to complete projects. Yeah. And not, not leave them hanging. Just write them till they're done, until the story's done, whatever that might be, and then move on to something else. Just hit it and go, hit it and go. And then every story you write is going to improve. Well, awesome, Sean. Awesome advice. Very, very good advice. And I appreciate it. And thank you for being on the show. I have enjoyed hearing the story, hearing about you. And listeners, go find Sean on his website. Make sure you email him or get on his social media. Let's flood him with social media <laughs> and make him grateful that he, you know, he did come on. Let him know you heard him on the podcast. So thank you for being here. Awesome. Thanks. It was great being here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.